Um, the singers came to sing today, y'all. Um, I was looking at the song list and I was like, oh, we're putting on our big boy pants today. Okay. <laughs> Singing. Um, it's hard, y'all. Um, learning those songs, knowing those songs, all the parts, not easy. Give another hand for the singers today. So last week, like James said, um, we were at the family retreat. It was awesome. It was incredible. The Tharps did an incredible job planning that, putting it together, and we started a new series. Um, we started a series of Greater Vision, which is really cool of this thought of having a greater vision, having a better view of God and how it can help us day to day. So we talked about how sometimes when we're struggling, when we're really wrestling in this world, having a clearer vision of God can help us to know what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Taking a second to pause, to stop, to reflect, to really remember who God is, who he wants to be in our lives, and how he's loved us, as Sam talked about so eloquently, can help us to just know how to move forward. We look at some of the origin stories, if you will, in the Bible, as God was introducing himself to people. We looked at Abram, who was being called to leave his home, where he is very well established, and leave and go to a land that he did not know, a location that God didn't disclose to him. He just said, go that way, which, a little scary. <laughs> and he's afraid, very understandably, God comforts him, and he tells him who he is. He says, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'll protect you. Then we move forward. We looked at Moses in Exodus 3, who once again, minding his business, tending the sheep, has run away from Egypt, living a wholesome life as a shepherd. <laughs> and... This isn't in the scriptures, but I love the Prince of Egypt, if you've seen it, where like the, the sheep kind of wanders away and he's like following it. And he's like, oh, what's in there? And I just feel like it was something, like he's like, what is this burning bush that is not actually burning that's talking to me, that's telling me to go stand up to the most fearsome nation that has ever been on this planet? I lived in it. I lived in the palace. I know their power. I know how they handle people wow. who don't agree. The whole reason I left is because they were killing the Hebrews. Go stand up to them. And once again, Moses is understandably nervous. Yeah. Yeah. And God says, he says, who, when they ask me who sent me, before they chop my head off and throw me into the now. What do I say? He says, tell them the I am sent you. James made an incredible point that I hadn't thought about before, where God is saying that your confidence is in that I am. Your strength is in that I am. My favorite part of this passage is actually a little bit later. It's in Exodus 4. Moses is still nervous. That wasn't enough for him. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And he's like, what do I say? I'm not a good speaker. He's trying to get out of this. And God's like, I made your mouth. I made language. I made words. Do you not think I can give you what to say? I actually turn to that passage a lot um, on mornings like this morning. When I'm nervous to speak and I don't know what to say. It's incredibly powerful to sit and think that I can be confident because God created me, made me, and because he is confident in me. It's powerful. But as I read these passages, I can be really critical of these people. Like you're speaking to a burning bush that's not burning. Maybe have a little faith. Like maybe believe that this God can do what he's saying he's doing. You're literally like, God is talking to you. I wish that when I pray tonight, God would say, do this. I, hello, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Where's your faith? But when you take a second and think about it, these men had to have a faith that I've never had to have. They had to take God at his word without really any prior evidence of who he is. That's hard. I mean, think about it. When I'm trying to build my faith, I go and look at these stories. What did they go and look at? <laughs> like, Moses wrote this stuff down. So <laughs> he's not looking at this stuff. It's powerful. Being it, These men are pioneers of our faith. And when you think about the pioneers of their field, amongst their mistakes, amongst their flaws, you appreciate their genius, their power, their inspiration, because they didn't have a precedence. There's nothing before them. (laughs) I praise God that that's not my scenario. I remember when I was considering going on the mission field for the first time. Um, This was back in 2017. And I went to one of my heroes in the faith, Lynn Onweiler. An incredible woman. If you've heard of her, utter fire comes out of her face every time she speaks. Um, This is one of those examples. Um, And she said to me, first, double your time in the Word. Faith comes from hearing the Word. I don't care how much time you're spending in the Word, double it. I didn't like that. felt very simple and unhelpful. (laughs) I was wrong. And then she said, as you go through the scriptures, write down the way you see God moving. And then pray through that. Pray to the God who parted the Red Sea. Pray to the God who set fire to the bush without burning it. Pray to the God who turned a staff into a snake. pray, Pray to that God and address him as such. Shape the way you view God and what he can do. And then she said a line that I will probably never forget. And she said, because God is unchanging, sometimes the clearest view we can have of him is through what he's already done. And it's so simple, but so true. And this simple discipline, this simple thought has been incredible in helping me to build and shape my faith throughout my walk with God. It's also the topic of today's lesson. Vision of the past, hindsight, 
really is 2020. I feel like we're all scarred by the word 2020 now, but this is talking about vision. I like went back, I didn't do it, dang it. Everywhere else in the slides, I put the little dash because I realized that 2020 was scarring. But it's talking about 2020 vision, <laughs> just so you know. But God is incredibly patient with us, right? He's constantly reminding us to remember who he is and what he's done. When you think about the Old Testament, God had shown the Israelites incredible signs and wonders of his power. I mean, think about going to bed every night with a pillar of fire. <laughs> like, right there to remind you of how powerful God is. Like, what? Or watching a goat walk up to touch a mountain and then fall dead because God's power is resting there. He had shown them incredible signs and wonders. And yet, he constantly had to remind him them of how powerful he was. There's a huge thing of the book of Deuteronomy. And um, so Deuteronomy, like, this is actually stated just in the name. Deuteronomy is taken from the word Deutero Deuteromium, hard to pronounce, which is actually, originally I was going to say something really stupid. I'm glad I did research. Um, I was going to say Hebrew. It's not Hebrew, it's Greek. Um, it's actually taken from the Septuagint. The original name is Devarim, which is just words of Moses. But our name for it is actually taken from the Septuagint, which was the Greek scriptures. And it means repeated law. And it is exactly that. God is repeating himself, as you can see, throughout the book. <laughs> it's remember, remember, remember what I've done for you. Remember how I've protected you. Remember how I've redeemed you. Remember, 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 over and over and over again. I actually had to delete some so that they could fit on the slide. There's so many of them. Just over and over again. Remember the days. Remember your redemption. Remember Egypt. Remember the manna. Remember how I fed you. Remember, remember, remember. All throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Even the most important command that Jesus says is in Deuteronomy 6 which is, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yeah. Remember me. Love me. Think of me. It's insane to think about how often he had to remind them. But the reason why, I think, is because in remembering who he was, they could see a clear vision of what he was going to do. They were facing some real challenges. Jericho, the Canaanites, the Amorites. I mean, just hearing Joshua and Caleb's report the, of the promised land is terrifying. Like, they say that they had to carry the grapes in on staffs. Like, can you imagine? And people were just, imagine fighting that? They couldn't. They were terrified. If you know the story in Numbers 13, I'm not going to put it up there because there's a lot of scripture today. But in Numbers 13, the Israelites come to the border of Canaan and they send 12 spies in to go and observe, observe the land. And the spies come back and 10 of them 
weren't super hype about this idea. Uh, they're like, they're real big, very large people, very established, they got weapons. We don't have those. The grapes, humongous. We brought some so you could see. This is scary. I don't think we should do this. I don't think we can take the land. But I love Joshua. Joshua and Caleb are like, are you kidding me? Really? Did you not? Did we not just spend the same last few years together? Did you see the pillar of fire that was following us? No? What about the firstborn being taken? Or the sea that we walked through? Right. You remember that? Surely the Lord can give us this land, they say. I think Joshua got it. Joshua remembered God and who he was. It's an incredibly powerful thought, but he carries this throughout his life. We see it very clearly, all the way up until he's about to pass. And then we get this incredible passage. In Joshua 24. Oh no, I closed my notes. And we're back. Sorry. Patience with me, I'm just a man. And technology is tricky when you're doing a lot of it. Joshua 24. I should have had this open already. Starting in verse 1, it says, And Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem and summoned Israel's elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates River, led, led him throughout the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave the hill country of Seir to Esau as a possession. Jacob and his sons, however, went down to Egypt. I sent Moses and Aaron, and I defeated Egypt. But what, by what I did within it, and afterward, I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you reached the Red Sea, the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen as far as the sea. Your fathers cried out to the Lord, so he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea over them, engulfing them. Your eyes saw what I did to Egypt. After that, you lived in the wilderness a long time. Later, I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived beyond the Jordan. They fought against you, but I handed them over to you. You possessed their land, and I annihilated them before you. Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, set out to fight against Israel. He sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. 
Instead, he repeatedly blessed you, and I rescued you from him. He then crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. Jericho's citizens, as well as the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hethites, Girgashites, Hevites, and Jebusites, fought against you. But I handed them over to you. I sent hornets ahead of you, and they drove out the two Amorite kings before you. It was not by your sword or bow. I gave you a land you did not labor for, and cities you did not build, though you live in them. You are eating from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your father worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worshipped the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourself today. Which will you worship? The gods of your father's worship beyond the Euphrates River are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. <sighs> Joshua was spitting fire. He sits here and he recounts to the Israelites what God had done for them. He walks them through all the way back from when we were not faithful to God, but God was faithful to us, to Abraham, and then through every promise that God kept from there on out. He remembers his power, his provision, his faithfulness to them. And then he says that word that I think sometimes I just want to pause on. And he says, therefore, he says, because of this, I've seen enough. God is worthy to be praised, surely. Therefore, fear and worship the Lord. How incredibly powerful is that? He says, I've seen enough. I don't know about you. I don't know if it pleases you. Choose for yourself. But for me and for the people I'm praising, I like this God. We have to take time to consider our past. To look through and remember that it is not by our sword. When we are living in vineyards that we did not plant, it's incredible to sit and meditate on what God has already set up. Me and uh, Matt Bungie got some time yesterday. It was actually really awesome. And we were talking about Job. And um, there's this incredible moment at the end of Job where Job decides he's going to question God, right? And God says, "Um, you can't, like, the sun that's in the sky right now, you didn't do that. The air that's in your lungs right now, you didn't do that. You can't take care of yourself. How dare you even think that you could? I think sometimes it's hard to see what God has already done. We've decided to take it for granted. 
it's become a normal thing because he is so faithful that we just assume that that's a part of the deal. We have to stop and meditate sometimes and really think through what God has already done. To look through the victories that we've already won with God. Even if you struggle going back to what Sam talked about today, just to the moment you decided to follow him. The moment you decided he was worth knowing, that he was worth following, that he was God. It's a victory. Sometimes I got to start there because I feel like I don't have any. This, as I was writing this sermon, thinking about recounting my victories, I actually struggled, which is crazy because God has done incredible things in my life. Like, blows me away with the things that he has done in my life. But as I sat, it's like I was coming up with blanks. And I had to go back just to all right, let's go back to just the creation of faith in my life. Yeah. Just start there. Yeah. What has he done? What did he do to lead me there? And what has he done since? And then it started to flow. But we see this theme in scripture quite often, actually, where someone's going up before a big problem or a big struggle, and they take a second to stop and meditate what God has already done. And there's this old cheesy saying. I don't actually think it's that old. It might be a new cheesy saying. It's cheesy regardless. And it says, stop telling your problems, or stop telling God how big your problems are, and start telling your problems how big your God is. Cheesy, I know. It's it's your grandma's Facebook post. It's fine. But (laughs) it's true. But it's true. And so, David had a really, really big problem. In 1 Samuel 17, David had a big problem. There's this giant who is struck fear into the hearts of God's armies. Men who are trained in combat are shaking in their boots. And it's, it's caused this, this standstill between the Philistines and the Israelites. David's brothers, who by all accounts were bigger, stronger, more powerful men, had been called to war. And they're standing there and they're shaking in their boots and they're scared. Right? We can't. Who? What? Once again, Flaming bush, anyone? They've forgotten their God and who he is and what he can do and his faithfulness. And so David, little shepherd boy, little scrawny guy, there's actually a funny part of this passage, it's a little bit later, where he goes to put on the armor of a typical soldier at a time, and it says it envelope, like it's He's like, this, is, this isn't going to work. No. Like, this is too big. He's tiny. But his faith isn't. Yeah. His God isn't. Wow. 
And so he comes up to this situation, and starting in verse 26, this is what he says. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David talking some smack. The troops told him about the offer, concluding that is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother Eliab listened as he spoke to the men and he became angry with him. Why did you come down here, he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. David's brother is not feeling this. What have I done now? <laughs> Protested David. It was a question. Then he turned from those beside him to the others in front of him and asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, so he had David brought to him. But Saul replied, you can go fight this, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. Not only is he bigger than you, but he's more trained and more skilled than you are. Stay in your place. But David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, sorry, I forgot I separated those. And this is the line, right? This is the powerhouse. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And we know, most of us know this story, right? He goes, Philistine's got a big old sword, Goliath, and he picks out a little rock from a slingshot. I just imagine the armies of God kind of watching like (laughs) <laughs> oh no <laughs> He's, where's his sword what? slingshot he's gonna die <laughs> and he and the giant comes tumbling down but he goes out there with confidence Goliath talks smack. I didn't put the whole passage in because it's really long. But Goliath is like laughing at him. He's like, really? This is... Okay. Come on. And Goliath comes tumbling down. But the reason David had faith to go before Goliath was because he knew what God had already done. 
he took a second to think about, okay, there's that lion. I killed that. That, that doesn't make sense. There's that bear. Okay. That same God is with me today. We have to be able to do this, guys. When I look back over my life, when I take time to reflect and really take time to pause and meditate and seek after God, it's crazy the ways that I see him moving. I mean, there's just in my own story, just alone, and me coming to know him, that faith was such an important part of my household, as twisted and convoluted as the doctrine was. There was a constant point towards God, to where I knew him as good, even beyond what I saw of the people who were following him. God was good. That still doesn't make sense to me when I look back. It, it just doesn't that he protected my heart and my mind in such a way is mind-blowing to me. Then there's me coming to know God, what it took to count the cost, to make a decision that God was worth it, the faith that he put into my heart, the people that he put into my life. After I got baptized, the guy who studied the Bible with me left. So that like question that we asked, like, if I leave, will you stay? became very real very quickly. But I got to see him restored. I got to be a part of some of his restoration studies. He's now a faithful disciple in the New York church. Incredible guy. That's a victory that I've gotten to do with God. For me, if you don't know me, I, come from a very, I came from a very broken family. I was raised, abandoned multiple times by my biological parents, by my adoptive parents. And even up until that point, divorce was a constant part of life. My dad remarried three times. I didn't know the meaning of family. About two years ago, um, a family that I had been growing with legally adopted me. I have parents now. I went home for the holidays last week for the first time in eight years. Or two weeks ago, for the first time in eight years. God did that. I mean, I think of little things, like fundraising money for mission trips and seeing God provide, even to coming here. Yeah. One of the things that I've wanted my entire life is to go into, well, not the, my entire life, actually kind of, but definitely my entire walk with God is to go into the ministry. I wasn't ready for it, though. I had a lot of character issues and a lot of stubbornness and a lot of pride, and so I pursued ministry and got told no over and over and over again because I wasn't ready. (laughs) But when I finally was ready, God had something prepared. Doing ministry with James has been incredible. Doing ministry with you guys has been incredible. I already feel like a part of the family. And I'm in the city I was raised in, bringing light to a place that carries a lot of darkness for me. (laughs) A lot of my trauma happened here. And now I get to do ministry and bring the gospel to this city. 
That, that symmetry only happens in God's plan. And when I think about these things, as I'm going into a Bible study, that I'm not sure if God can move this person's heart. As we're setting fundraising and mission goals for this year in staff meeting, as I'm looking for an apartment in a budget that's not the biggest, as I'm questioning whether or not God loves me, or if he's actually enough, these things help me to reflect and think and say yes. Do you do the same thing? Do you take time to stop and meditate and think, what are the lions and bears in my life? Where are the places that I've seen God move already in my life? Whether it's that family member that you never thought you can reconcile with or even just forgive. Whether it's just coming to know God, it really is sometimes just that simple. Getting that job that you've prayed for for forever. Having deep friendships. It's a gift. A lot of people want that. I don't know what it is for you. But you do. Do you, however, take time when you're facing something to remember who your God is? To remember what he's already done? Or do you sit and meditate on the problem in front of you? Are you like David's brothers, sitting there shaking because the Philistine is so big? Are you like David, standing in front of Goliath, knowing how big your God is? based on the evidence that you've already received. Do you take time to meditate on the scriptures? And look at what God has already done, who he promises to be in your life, who he's faithfully been already. You have to take time to reframe your story. It's so easy to see the bad. It's so easy to see the hard. It's so easy to see the difficult. It's so easy to see the trial and ignore God in it all. It's so easy to accredit the fields that you're currently working to yourself instead of the God who gave them. It's so easy to see your victories as your own. When you see clearly in John 15 that you can do nothing worthwhile outside of God. That every good gift comes from the Father. So I challenge you. This week. Last week, we were challenged. I don't think I've been doing this sometimes. Check your vision. How many of you guys have had the pleasure of seeing this before? It's the greatest thing ever, right? You feel like a complete failure. I'm like, that's... What can you see? The first line. (laughs) What's after that? That's a great question. (laughs) And then you sit there and it's one, two, one... Too. I'm like, they're the same. That's the same lens. You changed nothing. You're lying to me. <laughs> it's like every single time. But that process is refining. They're trying to get closer and closer to 2020 vision. And she's like, okay, that's blurry. And eh, what about now? You're actually, I learned, my mom's an ophthalmologist now. I learned that you're supposed to say it's the same when it's the same. I didn't know that. 
I like would try to lie or like create one. I think <laughs> you're supposed to say it's the same because that's how they know they've reached 2020. That's their that's anyways. Just so you know, <laughs> but that's what we have to do. James challenged us last week. He challenged us on these things. Those things were not separated earlier. <laughs> Amen. They are now. <laughs> he challenged us to stop. Right. Take some time. Pause. Silence and solitude. And giving God the space to speak to us. Giving us the space to stop and meditate on who God is. To cleanse our hearts, our minds of polluted thoughts. To pray. Gosh, I wish I prayed more. And to seek after God. All of these things, every single one of these things, are so key in remembering who God is. To really making sure we have a clear vision and being able to see who God can be tomorrow. Taking that time to stop, meditate, cleanse the false lies that Satan has put in our minds about what God can and cannot do and what he wants to do with us. To pray to this God and to seek after him are so crucial in being able to have a clear vision of God through having a clear vision of what he's already done in our past. I challenge you guys to do this this week. Take 15 minutes in the morning to just stop and meditate on God and what he's already done. You'll be blown away. We're going to have the song ministry come up now um, and do a final song. Um,